Amen. Amen. Well, before uh, I go into the message here, um, we got to give honor where honor is due. Pastor Ben, we, uh, we love you. His, his, um, his yes allowed all of us to be here, and his beautiful bride, Tina, in Oakley is uh, somewhere else. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, all right. Wow. All right, so in the book of Acts, it says, while Peter was yet speaking, the Holy Spirit fell. So we have this notion in church that we can only experience the Holy Spirit when we're up here worshiping. But I want you to know, in the book of Acts, the early church, while Peter yet spoke, the Holy Spirit fell. So I want everyone here to be expectant to hear from the Lord. I want everyone here to be expectant to yield to that voice when you hear him. Amen? Amen. So let's just pray together. Jesus, be glorified. Be glorified in this place. Be glorified in your church. My prayer and my constant prayer, Lord, as we gather, as you would step right into the middle of the room and steal all the attention. All of our focus, all of our all distractions, be removed all upon you. Holy Spirit, glorify the Son. Be glorified, Jesus, and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So this morning we are going to kick off a brand new series called Run to the Father. Man, my notes just keep on going over. We're going to have to adjust it. And today I want to explain a journey that the Father has had me on personally since 2015. And I said it to the team earlier, I really just want to kick around, smack around the religious spirit that I believe a lot of us have been born into. And to explain the journey, I'm going to call this the journey back home, when I finally stopped running and stopped hiding and truly started to becoming what the Lord has designed me to be and ultimately start living. Now, I grew up down the road, well, 20 minutes, 15 minutes in the town called Salve. Now, if I was to pass the mic over to here, I'd give them a couple words and say, hey, how would you describe Salve? My sister wouldn't have the greatest words for Salve. So it was a, it was a small town, and we kind of grew up very simple, very simple. I wasn't the greatest student. We have this ongoing joke with me and my dad. He would constantly ask me, so son, how did you do on that test? I said, I think I did pretty well. I studied. He was like, oh, great. Two days later, he would come back and ask me, so what did you get on the test? I said, Dad, I got a 30. <laughs> and that was, in a nutshell, my experience with school. That, that was it. I was not a good student. And so what I started to do is I started to excel in the one thing that I was comfortable in and that I was natural at was sports. 
I started to get really good at basketball. I started to really excel at the sport. I found acceptance. I found, I found freedom. I found that I could be myself, and it became very natural to me. High school, I started to get really good at basketball. And again, I, 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 I started to really throw my all into the sport. Fast forward to college, played four years as college basketball, still not the greatest student, still on the cuff. Every single semester it was like, I don't know if I'm going to be eligible or not, coach. And I would literally give him panic attack after panic attack. I'd be like, coach, I don't think I'm going to be eligible. Lord willing, I was always eligible to play. But I threw my all into the sport. All of my identity was found in this game. Now, anyone who knows or has played or has experienced college sports, it is extremely taxing, stream, extremely time-consuming, and it's a sacrifice like no other. You throw all of it in there. You find your, your group of people who's your teammates. They become family. Everything is evolved around the sport. It's not all bad. We have very good moments as a family and as myself, thinking back of my college basketball days. But in a moment, it was over. And we had a great season. Made it to the NCAA tournament, Sweet 16. We're playing a better team, and it was over. And in a moment, I just remember everything just crumbling down like, who am I? I honestly had no idea who I was outside of that sport. I found all of my identity in basketball. And then, after college, I moved to New York City. Those are fantastic times. I remember being in a church service, and I felt literally the Lord pick my feet up or pick my legs up while the, while the uh, pastor was giving a salvation call, and I felt like I needed to give my life to Christ. Everything changed from that moment. Everything changed. Then I felt the call on my life to pursue ministry. And I remember I was like, oh, I'm going to be this big-time pastor. I'm going to bring you the big-time preacher. And so in college, I started to experience extreme panic in my life, extreme panic attacks, to the point where I would drive my family crazy. This is, again, if I were to give them the mic to describe those times, I drove them crazy. They were trying to figure out what is wrong with my son, what is wrong with my brother. And so in Australia, while I was trying to pursue ministry and be the big-time preacher, big-time pastor, he said, I want to heal your heart. I want to heal those areas in your heart that are giving you panic, that are giving you those depressing thoughts. I want to father you. But hasn't life taken us all down different paths? Promises of life, the adventure of the lifetime, live life to the fullest, but doesn't sin also run its course and keep us longer than we should, continues to promise the counterfeits of life. These life experiences, these life journeys, they try to shape who we are, but we remember that in Romans 3.23 it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And throughout these journeys of life, we create labels for ourselves. Just like me, I got, the, I got the I'm good at sport label. I'm really good at basketball 
label. Now, labels have this interesting way of becoming a part of who we are, how we think, how we act. They dictate so much of our being. We wear these labels around like a glove from an early age. Now, who gives us these labels? Pastors, teachers, parents, siblings, brothers, sisters. Now, the definition of a label is a phrase or a name applied to a person, especially one that is inaccurate or restrictive. So we learn immediately that a label boxes us in, tells us to stay put, stay in your lane. You do what I tell you. This is who you are. This is who you're going to become. Stay in that box. Now we have worldly labels, right? Smart, dumb, wealthy, poor, pretty, ugly, kind, mean, skinny, fat, talented, weak, athletic, clumsy, joyful, depressed, creative, anxious, gifted, anointed, ambitious, lazy. The list can go on, but these labels stick around. All of us have been labeled something. Everyone in this room has been labeled by someone. So I ask you, where have we all gone? Where have you traveled to? Where has life taken you? Maybe you're like me and I just wanted to know who I was. I wanted to be seen, I wanted to be known. I wanted to be loved. Even if it was counterfeit, I just wanted to feel something. Maybe some of you are settling, saying to yourself, this is it for me. This is the way it goes for people like me. I was born in this family. Everyone else does it like this. I can feel the Father just wanting to tell us the truth. Now, this is the truth. He delights in us and longs to tell us that He delights in us. He's not putting up with us, wondering when we'll ever get it right. He's actually delighting in who you are right now. Now, you see, the cross didn't make you tolerable to God. The cross was an expression in choosing us before the foundations of the world. The cross expressed how much he delighted in us. When there was nothing to delight in me, it didn't make him tolerable. It testified to his delight. You see, the Father doesn't label us and treat us as such. I'm going to continue to say this, and you're going to hear this throughout the message, is he is other than. He is other than. He's not normal. Amen? Amen. The Father is going to start to power wash shame off of us in this room. I can feel it. Now let us get into the scripture for today. It's out of Luke 15. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it. Luke 15. Now here in this chapter, we find Jesus is being harassed by the religious leaders of the day called the Pharisees. They were displeased with Jesus because he was found talking and interacting with people that they labeled as bad. And just like in today's world, these people were labeled with what they did for a living, what the families they were born in, the amount of money they made, and most of all, the choices and the actions that they made in life. Now we're going to read off of Luke 15, starting in verse 1, real quickly. And Jesus says, it says, Many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered around to listen as Jesus taught the people. This raised concern among the Jewish relig religious leaders and experts of the law. Indigenous, they grumbled and complained, saying, Look at how this man associ associates with all these notorious sinners. 
and welcomes them all to come to him. In response, Jesus gave them this illustration. You see how the religious leaders identified these people? The people that Jesus was talking with? The notorious sinners. Can you imagine being identified as the notorious sinner? Hello, Colin, you're the notorious sinner. (laughs) It's wild. Can you imagine? I mean, these must have been pretty bad people Jesus was associating with if they were called the notorious sinners. And then Jesus just hits them with three parables back to back to back. Now, a parable is a story that is told to describe a moral or even spiritual lesson. Jesus was found telling many parables throughout the Bible. The first one is the lost sheep. We all know that. I'm going to leave the 99 for the one. That's all our story. He's left the 99 to rescue you. Number two, the lost coin, the value of who we are. I lost that coin, but I'm going to come after that coin. I'm coming back to get it. And the third one is what we're going to hone in on today. It's called the prodigal son. A lot of us are familiar with that scripture. Now, let us find out what the prodigal means. What does that word mean? Someone who spends money or resources freely and recklessly. Wastefully extravagant, so basically, for the modern day, it's a Vegas vacation. Everything is wasted. Not for you. Not for you. A son or daughter who leaves his or her parents to do the things they do not approve of, but then feels sorry and returns home, often figuratively. So we know the context, right? Religious religious leaders are upset at who Jesus is associating with, the notorious sinners. Now let's get into the scripture. Luke 15, starting at verse 11, going to 24. This is the prodigal son. Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me a share of estate? Now we have to pause right there. That in that particular time, that is extremely offensive. That is basically like saying, Dad, when are you going to die so I can have all of your stuff? I want your stuff, please. When are you going to die so I can take it? So the father went ahead and it just distributed between the two sons their inheritance, gave it away. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry because there was a severe famine in that land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished He was willing even to eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing and thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding the pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house. And I'll say to him, father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I'll never again be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, treat me like one of your employees. Now, it's very important that we understand the dialogue that the son is having in this moment. He's calling himself unworthy to be called a son, willing to be called an employee of his dad. 
Now let's continue. So the, so the young son set off for home from a long distance away. His father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar. And great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. Now we have to pause there. We have to, we have to understand what we're reading here. Great compassion swelled up while he is seeing his son coming home. He doesn't say great disappointment filled his eyes. He didn't have great shame in his eyes. He didn't have that look that said, oh boy, here comes this kid. Here he comes. Look what he's done. No, great compassion swelled up in his eyes. The father raced out to meet him, swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly and kissed him over and over with tender love. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. The father interrupted and said, Son, you're home now. Before the son could communicate the notion of slavery, the father interrupts him. Before the son could ever misidentify himself as an employee, the father interrupts him. He says, son, you're home. Thank goodness you're home. The son is ready to be thrown out. We heard the dialogue. Done away with, dealt with, handled, which we'll, we'll figure out in a second what the ramifications he was actually up against. But the father doesn't want to hear another word. He basically says, shh, shush, you're home. Turning to his servants, the father said, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger. And bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a feast and celebrate. For my beloved son was once dead, but now he's alive. Once he was lost, but now he is found, and every one celebrated with overflowing joy. And we're going to end on that scripture, and we'll find out next week about the, the brother who had some different opinions about what was going on. But in light of the father's response of his son's failure, I want to see why this story, I want everyone to find out why this story is so scandalous. Now, what I'm about to read is the active, current, ruling law while Jesus is telling the stories to the Pharisees. It's found in Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21. This is the active, current law of the day. It's called the rebellious son. This is how Deuteronomy describes a rebellious son. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they disciplined him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him, bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of the city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. And all Israel shall hear and fear. This is the active law of the day. This is what Jesus is up against. Can you imagine the reactions that the Pharisees must have had when Jesus is describing the Father's love of the wayward son? 
These religious people, Pharisees, have been stoning children for centuries. You see, the religious wanted to take the son, grab him before he even made it to the dad's driveway. Religion is meaner than sin. It holds us to the law that the father tells us that we are free from and creates bondage. This is why the father is running in this story. Because the father will sprint to his son before the religious can grab him and take away everything. Have their way with him. You see, Abba comes running after us and has a heavenly intervention before fear, condemnation, religion, guilt, shame has its way with us. Before these things give us our death sentence, the Father meets us with compassion swelling up in his eyes. You know, most of us actually relate better to the law of Deuteronomy. We believe the law way more than we do the truth. We believe the law more than we do the Father's love in Luke 15. But we have to ask the question, why? Why is it so much easier to believe that we should be put to death for our rebellion versus the truth? Number one, our issues or our labels have become our identity. We have stamped ourselves with the very things we are ashamed of. The very things we are ashamed of are the things that are keeping us away from the love we have been designed for. We are held captive to ourselves. Self-hatred starts to kick in, and we start to actually hate ourselves. And when we do that, we start to accept certain things that we should never accept, never realizing that everyone has an issue, right? Raise your hand if you have an issue in this place. Come on, look around. Everyone has an issue. But your issue was never intended to influence your identity. Your identity was intended to influence your issue. I'll repeat that again. Your issue was never intended to influence your identity. Your identity was intended to influence your issue. Amen? Jesus' people have to make sure that our issues do not become our identity. Amen. Let's see if I can get to point two. But we are created for much more, right? Amen. Created for much more. Religious ha religion has one message, one message, try harder, do better. But we can't try to be sons in this place. We can't try to be daughters in this place. Amen. It's time for us to start believing so we can start living like it. The second reason why we believe the law of Deuteronomy over the Father's love is we don't believe that God is relational. I'm here to tell everyone here that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. His very nature is relational. We've believed the lie that God sent Jesus to the earth to start a religion called Christianity. He didn't die for religion. He died for a relationship with us. Amen? Amen. Man, us, we have made religion. We have made God in our own image, created him with our own thoughts of what we think he is like. Before God is anything, I'm here to tell someone today, he is relational. He is union, but we have made him frustrated, disappointed, and short-tempered. 
He is saying, I've sent you my son and people still think I don't care about you. Christians live with being afraid of rejections that he's incapable of. He is other than, right? He is other than. He's not what we have made him to be. So what is Jesus saying in this parable? How does he describe his father? He's saying, here's how you handle my wayward children. Here's how you treat my kids. He's sounding the alarm, telling the religious leaders of this day, I don't care what you have been studying. I don't care what the law says. I am the fulfillment of those laws anyway, standing right before you. Enough with the labels. These children are mine. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Don't you go to Deuteronomy to find out what the Father is like. I'm standing right in front of you. This is who he is like. Enough with the labels. Jesus says, I'm not coming to tell you a story. I'm coming to change the rules. Actually, here's a new playbook. Play a totally different game. Start believing the truth. Start believing the truth. This is how the Father actually responds when we lose our way. And we have all lost our way. We have all lost our way, and we need to find our way back home. But this is how he treats us. This is how he responds I don't care what you've done. I'm just glad you're home. I'm not humiliated or embarrassed by anything you've ever done. Here's my robe to prove it to you. Wear that and always remember who you belong to. I could never be disappointed in you. Here's my ring. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. I'm so proud to be your dad. I forgive everything you were free to do in the first place. I just want all of you. The good, the bad, the ugly. None of it scares me. I'll look it right in the face. I'm not going anywhere. So I ask you again, what are the labels that we're carrying around? What are we running from? What are you running for? What are they? What is it? Let's identify it. Like the Pharisees, are you identified as a sinner, the notorious sinner of the day? Broken, ugly, no good, beat up, depressed, anxious, constantly trying to tell the Father what I've done, just like I did. Lord, I'm no good. You can't, you, can't, you can't deal with me. I'm no good. Just throw me out. Just let me be. Treat me like one of your employees. I can at least live with that. But what is the truth? What is the Father going to say? He does not and will not meet you and start pointing out your flaws. He will meet you and begin to shower you with the truth of your identity. Amen. You see, he's not scared of your dysfunction. He's not concerned by it. He actually delights in showing you mercy. He can't help himself but to treat you this way. He is other than. You see, we want to look and continue to look at our dysfunction labels while he sees the truth of our beings. The Father interrupts us. He's doing it now. Even as you hear the sound of my voice, he's interrupting some of us. Son, you're home. Daughter, you're home. Turning to his servants, the Father said, Quick, bring me the best robe. My very own robe, I will place it on your shoulders. Bring me the ring, the seal of sonship. I will put it on his finger. Bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. For my beloved son was once dead, now he's alive. He was lost. Now he's found. Where have we been? 
the labels that have been placed around us should never and will never get the final say. Fear, condemnation, guilt will never be the dominating voice of a son's life. I can hear the father relabeling, re-identifying, just like he did with me and he continues to do in my life. I am much more than the things that I do well in. I'm not the anxious kid. I'm not the depressed kid. I'm not the failure. I'm a son. Amen. I don't have to sit back in confusion and wonder who I am. I don't have to be harassed by the questions of life anymore. We are now what the Father labels and what he says about us. You see, this is who we are. This is who we are. When you are in Christ, you are a brand new creation. That this world has never seen before and everything is found in the person of Jesus. I said everything is found in the person of Jesus. Everything you can ever think a dream of, we can actually, we are actually the most unique creation in this world. The Father doesn't see us apart from Jesus, so we have no right to see ourselves apart from Jesus. He is righteous, so we are righteous. He is the beloved, so we are the beloved. Jesus said it himself, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You want to know what the Father is like, we must look none further than the God-man himself. Practically speaking, how, how, how do we live this life? How do, we, how do we live as sons and daughters? I believe we need to find people who aren't afraid to get messy with the messiness of life. They're not afraid to get their hands dirty with us. We must keep them close and celebrate them. Being fully known and fully seen is the most beautiful thing in this world. And the Father says to us all, you are worthy of being loved. You are worthy of being seen and worthy of being known. God saw you worth dying for. I don't care what this world has labeled you as. You, my friends, have been chosen for just a time as this. Now, I want to pray in just a moment for the wandering ones, the ones that have questions. If I could have the worship team come back up. Now, if you're, if you're in this place and you said you've wandered or you are wandering, you see, tomorrow is not promised. I know that's heavy, but that's just the truth. Tomorrow is not promised. Salvation is for today. It's urgent. It's urgent. So I want everyone here, just for the sake of privacy, close your eyes, place your hands on your heart, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. This world will try to tell us there's so many different ways. He is the only way. Now, if you have been wandering or if you have never experienced the Father's love, that only comes through Jesus, I want you to repeat the prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I long to have relationship with you. I can't do life on my own anymore. You are life. Jesus, I believe that you died 
Jesus, I believe that you rose again. Jesus, I believe that you are a living being in heaven. Become my life. Make me a disciple. No more running from me. I am yours. You are mine. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen.